Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Let's talk about sleep. So today I'm sharing my interview with BCBA Emily Varen, who specializes in sleep-related behaviors. I had a long list of questions that I wanted to ask her, you guys. I actually love learning about sleep. I think this started when my kids were little, but I've also had a few clients with major sleep issues. And once you start learning about it, you realize how complex it is, but how there are some really great, seemingly simple strategies that can have a big impact. So today, Emily shares really why sleep is so important and what are some of the biggest contributing factors that lead to a healthy or unhealthy night of sleep. She shares a lot of great strategies that are simple and not intense, cried out things, but could have a big impact. She also shares, has some great advice for what teachers can do to support families who are struggling with sleep. There are three really awesome handouts in the show notes. Definitely check those out. Emily's website is Ready, Set, Sleep. So definitely check out her resources if you want to share that with families or you want to learn more about sleep yourself because this is definitely an area that I think we could all grow our expertise level as this is so hugely important for our kids. So let's hear from Emily all about sleep. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Sasha. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> I talking am about sleep. Uh, talking about sleep. Sleep is everything. So I like cannot wait to get into this. This I have to say this is like an area of interest of mine. It wouldn't I would definitely not say it's an area of expertise, but I've done 
a lot of research on it and I can't wait to learn more from you. So I'm really happy to talk with you today. Yeah, there's so much people just don't know about sleep in general and it just complicates things. So hopefully we will, um, you know, unleash some knowledge (laughs) on people today. Yes. I mean, everyone knows why sleep is important, but give an overview. Like, why is sleep so important and what are some of the negative impacts of not getting a healthy night's sleep? So basically, our bodies reset overnight. Um, We regenerate our cells. Everything detoxes on the cellular level. We absorb nutrients that gets uh, converted into all the good things that keep us healthy, vitamins, minerals, all of that. Um, But also what has been kind of the most substantial uh, discovery, I guess, in the last, I believe it's been in just in the last seven years, is this discovery of that the brain has its own detox system that only engages during deep phase sleep. So when we're not getting enough sleep, it makes sense that we feel brain fog the next day, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, where we can't think straight, where we are just kind of walking around in a cloud and it just doesn't feel good and we don't feel like ourselves and our you know, emotions aren't really in check, things like that. So a lot of that has to do with that brain detox. Um, Also dreams. We need our dreams. We need our dreams to sort out all of the, you know, emotional stuff where we sort of file things away during our dream state. So emotionally, from our mental health standpoint, it's so important. Um, Our insulin regulates, our our heart rests, you know, that resting heart rate um, is not a myth. We need it to rest. (laughs) Otherwise, we're at risk for a heart attack obesity, stroke, all of that kind of stuff. So. I mean, like huge things here. <laughs> huge things. I mean, not it's not just like, you know, you're not going to know how to tie your shoes the next day. It's like, you know, really major health, health impacts if we don't, you know, take care of our sleep over time. Yeah. So what are some, thinking about, you know, healthy sleep and someone, when you consider a good night's rest and all of this or has healthy sleep patterns, what are some variables or contributing factors? What leads to that, like, good night's sleep? Uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, the daytime. Right, getting getting sunlight and daytime, uh, expo- you know, activity and things like that um, during the day is actually really helpful for our sleep at night. Um, we saw this interestingly enough. We saw this a lot during COVID when we weren't as active, when we were on lockdown, when we were kind of going through the same patterns every day. Nothing new, no stimuli um, that were new or novel, and our brains sort of. Yeah, got a little lazy, and we saw bedtimes, especially for children, getting later and later and later. Um, their brains just weren't tired at their normal time, right? So we need all of those good daytime activities. We need a good, healthy amount of exercise outdoors, sunlight exposure um, to help us. And then the other thing is how we wind down at night and how we predict sleep, how we help our bodies wind down and predict mm-hmm. sleep. So. Even as adults, we engage in things that are uh, not compatible with falling asleep, <laughs> like screen time and podcasts and <laughs> no offense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, listening to that stuff as we fall asleep, it just doesn't really fall into the healthy category, things like that, that actually end up stealing from sleep and delaying sleep onset. So, 
Yeah, I loved when we were planning this interview. You were like, you know, I think people will always kind of grab some tidbits for their own life too, like not just for their yep. child or their students. It applies for all of us, right? Yes, especially that screen time. You know, it, it, so many adults come to me and say, oh, you know, I'm just a night owl. I just I just can't fall asleep before midnight. And I'm thinking, and I, I usually ask, you know, hey, what time do you turn off your screens? <laughs> Uh, you know, <laughs> 11.59. Like the, the cat with the canary in the mouth. Mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know, so that blue light exposure can really you know, sabotage sleep. Yeah. But bedtime routines, I mean, look, you know, families often, uh, I, I often hear that, oh, we don't really need a bedtime routine. They know when they need to fall asleep. But bedtime routines, even, you know, for adults, for children, they signal melatonin production. Mm -hmm. So bedtime routines are so important, not just because, you know, oh my gosh, it's so important to have a bedtime routine. <laughs> but yeah. it really is important to have a rhythm, a predictable system of signaling to the brain that sleep is coming. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot out there about sleep that's focused on newborn sleep. You know, obviously, mm -hmm. like everyone, every newborn parent is so sleep deprived. They're like, yes, I'm going to gather all this information. Mm -hmm. But you don't see as much out there for our kids and our teens that are struggling with sleep, which is equally Correct. as important. Do you find that? I do find that. I do find that. Um, you know, it's funny because when when the children are young, we sort of expect these sleep inconsistencies and you know, as a new mom, you know, you, you kind of expect not to sleep for a little while. But I think when we don't know enough about how sleep progresses over time and how it changes in the brain and how needs change over time, um, sometimes we end up in a little bit of a pickle in later childhood, you know, especially in the autism community where these very typical phases of, you know, whatever it is, tantrums or resistance to change, things like that, we see in the autism community lasting later and later and later into childhood. No different with sleep issues. They just sort of persist longer into childhood, whereas maybe, you know, another child might have, uh, it might subside around three or four years old, something like that. Um, we do see it later and later into childhood and then reemerging in adolescence for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. What are some of the most common sleep challenges you see with kids, you know, either on the spectrum or not on the spectrum, mm -hmm. and, and young adults? Ooh, I, I would say blue light exposure is, is the biggest one now. Mm -hmm. Right now, just, um, just in our society, I, I would probably have had a different answer for you maybe seven years ago. Yeah. But now the blue light exposure from our screens, so um, yeah, some people are very familiar with blue light and some people aren't. So basically blue light is the light that comes off of all of our smart screens. Even if you have it on night shift and it looks orange, it's still <laughs> blue light. It's not a blue color, but it's like ultraviolet light where we don't really need to see it to know it's there, right? It's just there. Um, but what we what isn't as commonly known is that blue light actually, when when our eyes interpret it, we interpret it as still daytime because it's the same wavelength as the sun. Mm. And so it stops our melatonin production. We don't produce melatonin during the day because it's, you know, daytime and our bodies need to be awake and we need to work and we need to go to school and all that. Um, but when we're on our smart screens later at night, our brains just don't produce melatonin, period. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are. Um, the screen time and, and screens really steal from that um, ability to fall asleep. And melatonin is just our, our sleepy hormone that helps us feel tired. So if you're not feeling tired at a time when you think, oh, 
oh gosh, you know, it's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Maybe I should be feeling tired. Oh, I'll just go on my screen. <laughs> I'm bored, right? Yeah. So a lot of people use it to pacify themselves, you know, or quiet their minds. You know, we have so much stress. So, so screen time is kind of this easy tool that we use to quiet our stressed out brains when, first of all, it usually increases our anxiety, <laughs> first of all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it steals that melatonin. So we we don't end up going to sleep until much later. And for children, you know, it, it's hard to to separate the children from their devices sometimes when there is this constant um, dopamine rush associated with what we're watching on on screens. You know, children are watching fun stuff. They're not watching social media as much. So, <laughs> yeah, I would say blue light is is yeah. the biggest saboteur of our of our time. Yeah, I mean that makes sense, and I mean I'm like sitting here like super guilty like oh my god my kids are watching shows before bed but you do kind of associate the idea of like oh let's chill out and watch a show or mm -hmm. yeah I'm gonna chill out and scroll Instagram before I go to sleep mm -hmm. but it's really counteractive yeah yeah and I think um you know we don't see it in ourselves so if you don't see it in yourself you're certainly not gonna see it in your child right you know and and it, it is this sort of it's a kind of a vicious cycle because, you know, as adults and even as teens, I'll say especially as teens, we're trying to really quiet down that that distress that we feel as we're falling asleep, right? As we're falling asleep, it's the worst time for adult brains because what we do is we cycle through our days and we go through in our brains, we go through all the things we wish we had said to this person and <laughs> we should have said to that. <laughs> or we're worrying about our children or we're, you know, you know, teens are worried about their tests or their grades or, you know, is, does that person like me or not? You know, how am I doing socially? And so when the brain is quiet, it actually um, ramps up with all these intrusive thoughts. So screen time feels like a, a, a an easy fix for that. Like, I don't have to think about my problems. I don't have to think about my stress. It kind of takes me away to another place, but at the same time you know, it's, it's doing no good for actual sleep. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, big light bulb moment here for everyone. I know. So, <laughs> and I always say like, I, I, I tell bad news all the time. I, I'm the killer <laughs> of dreams. I'm like a super dream crusher. Like I, I kill everybody's spirit sometimes when I tell them these facts. No, it's <laughs> like, good to know. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay, so let's talk yeah. let's talk bedtime yeah. routines because you mentioned Ooh. that and oh, I'm sorry, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Um, so let's talk bedtime routines because you mentioned that and what does a healthy, good bedtime routine look like for kids? Let's kind of focus on on kids. And, and yeah. I, I'm actually curious your thought on adult bedtime routines too. But for, for our kids, what's a good bedtime routine look like? They're not so different. So um, for children, obviously, they're going to go to bed a little bit earlier um, than an adult might. But <clears throat> let's say after dinner, we have dinner and then all calming activities between, let's say, dinner and the time sleep is expected. So what could that look like? That, for me, I love to recommend brain-intensive tasks. 
it's the best thing to tire out the brain, fine motor activities, things that are like sorting, matching, you know, puzzles for younger kids, obviously, um, put-ins, any kind of building, even just trains, cars, things like that, anything that's going to keep the body calm. Because some kids really ramp up before bedtime, right? They have these little engines, these little motors where after dinner, they're just like running hot. And it's, um, oh, this is a good opportunity to talk about getting the wiggles out. <laughs> That's another sleep stealer. So it, it feels logical, right? It feels really logical to say, hey, let's just get our wiggles out before bed so we can relax. But what that actually does is it raises our core temperature and it actually stimulates our awake hormones and it actually sabotages sleep. So mm. we want to keep that hour, hour and a half before sleep is expected. We want to keep it calm. So bath. I mean, if you have a kid who is really active, stick them in the bath. The bath is incompatible with jumping, crashing, running around, <laughs> getting their heart rate up, right? Um, it's also incompatible with screen time. Yeah. Which I love, you know, so it ticks a lot of boxes. So for the parents who have those real active kids, it's okay to eat up a half hour, 40 minutes in the bathtub. There is no shame in that game. Yeah. <laughs> And kids love the bath too. Like it's a comfort activity. Yes. Most kids do love the bath. They're a nice shower and they get to play and whatever. Um, So I I would definitely encourage some kind of a bathing routine only because it can be so relaxing and it can offer an offset to some of those other activities that might be stealing from sleep. So brain intensive tasks I love because the body can't really be running around and doing all sorts of um, high energy activity when they're trying to, let's say, put a puzzle piece in or match two pieces together, do a shape sorter or, you know, put a puzzle together or something like that. I love bead stringing or anything like that where, you know, the, the body sort of has to, it's forced to be still during those activities. Obviously there's always books and songs and things like that. That's always great. But a lot of our younger kids won't sit for books. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, true. you know, we don't have to do books at bedtime. We can do books anytime. If, if you have a kiddo who doesn't sit for books, ditch it. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Don't I, you know, you've seen definitely, I'm sure you've seen parents getting the power struggle. Like, well, we're supposed to do books at bedtime. So let's Ugh, do books at bedtime. And then everyone's getting escalated and it's becoming a thing right before you're supposed to go to bed. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of social norms that are sort of imposed on families about what should be happening at bedtime. You know, books have to happen at bedtime. But if your child enjoys quiet play or pretend play, if they want to play kitchen during the bedtime routine and, and you know, pretend to cook, pretend play is totally fine. Um, if they like building, if building really keeps their bodies calm, do some building at bedtime. There's no, the only rule for a bedtime routine is that it doesn't escalate the body, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. um, create more energy <laughs> within within the system. Um, as long as they're calming activities, that's up to you to decide, right? I, I, I love telling this story because it is a hundred percent true. My kids are my kids are twelve and fourteen, but when they were in preschool, we had Pete the cat rocking in his school shoes. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I think yeah. everyone. My kids used to go nuts 
with Pete rocking in those stupid school shoes (laughs) that we ended up donating Pete the cat to our preschool because I couldn't have it at bedtime anymore. They were running around being just like crazy animals because they loved Pete the cat and they wanted to rock in their school shoes and they wanted to be just like Pete and they wanted to go around and find all the buttons. And (laughs) I mean, honestly, it was, it was, you know, it was like full blown energy attack right at bedtime. So we just gave Pete the cat away. So you know, you have to sort of know your child and what escalates them and what calms them. If books or or music even, some kids go crazy for music. Let's not do music. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just have to see what what escalates them and what calms them and, and opt for those calming activities. So how do you pick a good, I mean, I was thinking about when you start the bedtime routine, but really that comes to the question, when do you pick the right bedtime? How do you know what the right bedtime for a child is? Is that like a whole other episode? (laughs) That is probably a whole other episode. It is the (laughs) ongoing conundrum. And and honestly, it's the one thing that sets families down the path of of problems at bedtime because we don't know when our children are supposed to be falling asleep. So I follow waking windows, right? We can, you can Google waking windows. I have some resources on uh, over on my Instagram account. I have some kind of tips and tricks. But basically, we should be lining up bedtime with the time the child's body is ready to fall asleep. Now, caveat to that is that changes constantly over time. Mm. So here's where parents get into a pickle because, you know, I feel like we shouldn't be online anymore. (laughs) Online (laughs) is sometimes where we find the worst information. Um, But no, I mean, it's sort of drilled into the parents' heads here that you have to pick a bedtime. You have to stick to that bedtime. Children should go to the bed the same time every night, start the routine the same time. Predictability systems, you know, uh, consistency, consistency, consistency. It's like drilled into our head to the point where when I'll go in to do a sleep consultation, parents are so proud of their bedtime routines and so proud that they're in bed every night at 730, Emily. They're, they're in bed every night. But gosh, they don't fall asleep until 830 or 9 o'clock, to which I say, their bedtime might be 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so you sort of, we always gauge bedtime, and this is going to maybe blow people's minds, but we really gauge bedtime by morning wake up. What time do they wake up in the morning every day on average? If that time fluctuates, bedtimes are going to fluctuate. Mm. If we have a consistent morning routine, a, a consistent wake up time every morning, that bedtime is going to be more predictable. And so it changes over time. So what do I mean? So at around a year, our waking window is about five hours. So if children are waking up at 7 a.m., they're going to go for their nap at noon, right? About five Mm -hmm. hours later. And if they sleep for two hours, let's say noon to two, that puts bedtime around seven, right? Five hours after that wake up. Fast forward to three years old, that waking window expands to about six hours, So nap is going to be pushed ahead. Bedtime is going to be pushed ahead. And when that nap finally drops, well, what happens to bedtime? We have to shift things around. Mm. So bedtimes are actually constantly shifting. You know, if I put my 14-year-old to bed at 7.30, if bedtimes never actually changed, (laughs) (laughs) there would be mutiny. It would be (laughs) mutiny in my house if I put my 12 and my 14-year-old to bed at 8 o'clock. Right? It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So you know, at some point we have to kind of take the children's messages. And when we start seeing that sleep resistance, when we start seeing that maybe they're giving up some shenanigans at bedtime, that we go, hmm, you know, like, let's look at their age. When was the last time we changed bedtime? 
Yeah. When was the last time they dropped a nap, right? If it's been almost two years since you've changed bedtime and now they just won't go to sleep and they're up and they're coming out and they're bugging you and they're (laughs) playing, you know, I mean, they're so adorable, right? Like you don't want to be angry, but then it's like, go to to sleep. Why aren't you going to sleep? Usually the answer to that is just push bedtime about a half an hour. So it could be from 8 to 8.30 or even 8.20, something like that. So it's okay to shift bedtimes around. They just can't stay static over time. Yeah, that's a really good way to think about it. I mean, like developmentally, you know, our kids keep changing, but sometimes you're like, oh man, yeah, it's been two years. We've been still sticking with this seven o'clock thing. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and then parents are stumped, right? Why won't, why have they suddenly started resisting sleep? Yeah. It's, and it always happens suddenly, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I know. That's what I was just going to say. It is always sudden. <laughs> it's always sudden. It's just like, you know, I mean, look, kids kind of try to walk for a little bit before they actually learn how to walk. But pretty much kids walk, learn to walk almost from the minute they, they get it, right? Yeah, Once they get true. it, it's done. You walk. You don't unlearn how to walk typically, right, in extreme circumstances. But, you know, it, and, and so it's like that. You know, it just changes. The development just happens. You know, you'll notice suddenly your, your baby is making eye contact. Suddenly they're starting to giggle. Suddenly they're starting to crawl. It just, you know. Suddenly bedtimes yeah. change. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about nighttime wake-ups. What about parents that have kids that frequently wake up in the middle of the night, get out of bed, or have trouble falling back asleep once mm-hmm. they've been asleep? So I wish this is <laughs> this is going to be the aha moment for many people. So just like we look at morning wake-up time to gauge what time bedtime is supposed to be, we actually look at bedtime and what is happening as the body is falling asleep. We look to that moment to gauge whether or not an awakening is going to happen in the middle of the night. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> it is it is a myth. It's a myth that we as humans fall asleep at bedtime and wake up in the morning. We don't do that. We do not just fall asleep at, you know, eight o'clock and wake up at six in the morning. That's not how sleep works. Sleep is cyclical. So we phase through deep sleep, light sleep, deep sleep, light sleep all night long. And in those little light phases of sleep, in those little breaks, we have awakenings. We all wake up all night long, Mm -hmm. all night long. But for us, you know, maybe we switch positions or we stretch or we yawn or we wake up with a start because we had like a little bit of a nightmare and we're, oh gosh, that was just a dream. Or, or we go, oh my gosh, that was the most lovely dream. Remember it, remember it. I want to go back to sleep so I can continue my dream, right? So these are all awakenings. The difference is, is that children who don't fall asleep completely independently from an awake state at bedtime can't replicate that on their own throughout the night. Anytime something changes after sleep onset, it's a recipe for awakenings the rest of the night. So... The way, so what we were just talking about, you know, gauging bedtimes to be the right time, what often happens is children start resisting bedtime and parents go, oh, why won't, you know, logically so, why won't they stay in bed? You know, let me lay down and help them fall asleep because clearly something's wrong with them, right? I'll, I'll help them, right? I'll help them fall asleep. And then because that is so lovely, that is such a lovely experience to fall asleep with your caregiver in your arms, right? (laughs) Um, That becomes the system that they use to predict sleep the rest of the night. So once the parent leaves after the child falls asleep, 
and the child gets into their light phase of sleep later at night, they have a light waking, but they go, where'd everybody go? <laughs> and now and now they have a problem because they can't go back to sleep without that same support. Right. It is such a light bulb moment when you realize <laughs> that. You know, I a, a really long time ago, and I wish like I had chatted with you then, I worked with a family actually in India remotely for a really long time. Wow. And I sought out some um, other BCBAs to help support this family too, because they were had a really complicated sleep situation. But mm. that was exactly what was happening is there was mm. a very elaborate bedtime system to mm -hmm. get their child to fall asleep. Mm. And once he went to sleep, they're like, it's great. He'll sleep for a little bit. But then he woke up repeatedly throughout the night. And I was like, mm. well, he needs the whole system. Like yeah. he needs the hammock and the dad and the swaying and the this, like oh, yes. that's how he falls asleep. So of course, like when he wakes up at three in the morning, he doesn't know what will occasion sleep because he mm -hmm. he's never had to do it by himself. Exactly. And same like what you said, like light bulb moment. They were like, oh my God, you're right. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> Matt, and look, the 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 idea of changing bedtime routines and changing how the children fall asleep is sometimes really scary for parents because it's like you have to unlearn that even though you're helping them fall asleep, you're not helping them stay asleep. Yeah. So a lot of parents are afraid to make changes because they think it's going to end up with worse sleep because well, right now I, I get them to sleep. I get them to sleep. That's a success for me. It's just the middle of the night that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you have to see the whole thing as one big system that correlates to the next step and the next step and the next step, you know? Um, but it's hard. It's not so easy to teach independence at bedtime. Um, you know, most people resort to just, you know, cried out or extinction or something like that. But that's punishing to the families, right? Nobody yeah. wants to implement something like that with their six-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Or physically you can't. They're like, they're going to get out and follow me. Like <laughs> That's it, right? That is. So, you know, it takes some finessing. I mean, I use a system called quiet-based visiting that I love. I learned from Dr. Gregory Hanley ages ago. Um, which is just sort of like systematic check-ins that start three seconds. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's funny because, you know, I'll say, yeah, you know, like you just leave for a little bit and check back in and everyone says, oh, I've done that. And I, they just follow me and I go, well, how long did you leave for? Yeah. Oh, I went to go have dinner and suddenly, yeah. you, know, you know, you have to come back quickly because you have to teach them that there is reinforcement in their quietude, in their kind of sitting still, staying still, waiting, that we we will always come back. And, you know. and, and it does take time. Like you said, these are things that can take some time to learn mm -hmm. because this might be something new or challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, exactly. And they may be struggling with it during the day too, right? There might be separation anxieties that are, are rearing their heads during the day. Perhaps they, you know, are having trouble separating from caregivers in, in the security and safety of their own home, right? You know, the caregiver can't go and um, get a drink of water or use the restroom by themselves. They've sort of got this little tail all day. So if, you know, if that's the case for your child, that's definitely going to replicate itself at bedtime too. And it's going to make it hard for parents to leave the sleep environment at that critical period when they know sleep needs to happen. And it's so crucial. Yeah. So what advice do you have for teachers who are looking to support you know, the families of their students who are struggling with this? And it's sometimes hard as, you know, the educator to know your your role, like you don't want to overstep, you don't know what it's like in their house, but you also do want to be able to provide support and resources if parents are ready for that. So how do you suggest kind of navigating that relationship? You know, I like to ask questions instead of making assumptions for families. I think um, uh, asking questions, hey, how is sleep going? You know, 
Timmy seems tired or he fell asleep on his desk. What can I do to offer you some support? Um, see if they're open to that help. Um, and, you know, see, it really depends on what they're open to because, you know, I think teachers are in such a wonderful position of this kind of relationship of trust that's already there. And so if the family trusts them enough with their child education and, and, and wellness in, in that way and safety, I think teachers are in a really ideal position to say, hey, you know, I read a resource that says, you know, hey, you know, a, a bedtime routine, you want to, would you be interested in sharing with me what your bedtime routine looks like? Maybe, maybe we can help clean it up a little bit. Um, and not assuming that they have a terrible bedtime routine or yeah, you know, assuming yeah, that they're point. helping their child to sleep and making that negative and normalizing it, right? A lot of kids, hey mom, guess what? A lot of kids are struggling with their sleep. Oh, it's so common. How yeah. does, how does, you know, how does little guy sleep? How does little girl sleep? How do they, you know, how is it going for you? Oh, you know, they won't fall asleep at bedtime. You know what? That is so common. It is so common. You're not alone, right? You're not alone. Even just saying that you're not alone is Mm. sometimes such a game changer to hear like, oh my gosh. Powerful. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I think when it comes to parents laying down with their children, I was actually just talking about this at a CEU I just actually finished. My first in-person CEU in two years. Thank you very Ooh, much. So exciting. Congrats. <laughs> I feel alive again. Um, but there is sort of this guilt around how the children fall asleep and not really wanting to say, yes, I still lay down with my 12-year-old. You know, yes, I'm still laying down with my seven-year-old. But sometimes just offering parents the the space to say, yeah, I still do it. And guess what, mom? It's it's normal. It's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay. We get into these situations. Another point is that parents sometimes feel guilty that they haven't figured it out yet or that they feel shackled to their child at bedtime, that they lay with them for hours and they feel bad saying, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Right. So there's so much guilt around it too. But if they could all just know that these things just happen, mm-hmm. it's, they just happen. It's not bad parenting and it's not negligence and it's not that you're, you know, something's wrong with your parenting or anything like that. These things just happen and they're normal. I mean, I think that's the best advice for teachers. I mean, as far as resources, there's lots of things online. I have resources. I have CEUs, things like that, that um, I offer BCBAs, continuing education from the BACB, but teachers are also welcome to to take those. I just can't give them any credits for it. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a good platform for, you know, encouraging your own knowledge and, and encouraging your own growth as a professional and seeing where we can really help. help yeah, that's families. great advice on, on like the asking questions and the normalizing and, and you're sharing three really great handouts that I'll be linking in the show notes that I think would be awesome resources for teachers to give to parents. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Use them, duplicate them. It's totally fine. Take them They're for the taking. <laughs> oh, good. Look at that. All these freebies. Okay. Before we wrap up, cause I could like literally pester you with questions about sleep for a long time, but I'm not <laughs> going to, but I have one totally unrelated to what we've talked about question. Sure. <laughs> Purely out of my curiosity. Yes. What is your opinion on melatonin gummies? Ah, that's a whole other episode. 
Oh my god, is that a whole episode? Did I open no. like a whole can of worms? You did. So here's here's my here's here's my 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 quick response. Most if we're only talking about children here, but I'm yeah. also talking about adults, okay? But let's talk about children, but assume for adults too. Most of us are not low producers of melatonin. Most of us produce just fine. Screens, screen time, steals melatonin. So sometimes gives us the notion that we're not tired, but really it's the screens that have stopped our melatonin. So now we're taking melatonin to solve a melatonin suppression problem. Yeah. (laughs) That's thing one. So that's thing one. The other thing um, is that ah, I just think it's important for people to know this little fact is that melatonin is by prescription only everywhere in the world except the United States. Interesting. I did not know that. Everywhere in the world. You cannot, if you have listeners that are in the UK or, you know, anywhere in in Europe or even South America, you can't walk into a pharmacy and just get melatonin for your kid. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) The other thing is we don't really have long-term um, data on how melatonin uh, plays out in the system over time. We do know that in people who are not low producers, but who use melatonin as a sedative. So here's here's the difference is that a lot of people use melatonin as a sedative and not as an actual um, supplement for their own melatonin malproduction. Mm-hmm. It's a subtle difference. It's a subtle difference. We use it to help the kids get sleepy, but really the problem might be the screen time, the activity at bedtime, lack of a routine, lack of calming activities. Those might be reasons why our melatonin isn't getting signaled and our kids don't look sleepy or the bedtime is the wrong time. Mm. (laughs) Right? So typically when I work with families, um, we're able to get off the melatonin because really it wasn't a melatonin production problem in the first place. Caveat to that is some children are low producers, but it's a very small percentage of the population. I don't like assuming that they're low producers. I'd rather assume that they have the same abilities and we'll know after a couple nights if just nothing's working. It won't take more than a night or two. So that's kind of the the down low on melatonin. It's it's just so accessible now and it's so easy. And a lot of families got into the melatonin cycle during COVID when their kids didn't seem tired at the normal time, but that sort of made sense. A lot of families just say it doesn't even work because their yeah, children are I mean, probably not low producers. <laughs> yes. And it also just feels, you know, and the COVID thing makes sense too, but it feels like this Band-Aid, like you said, we're not getting to the real root of the problem. You know, mm-hmm. is it the bedtime? Is it the screens? And we're kind of covering up what Yeah. And when we use it, right. And don't forget when we use it as a sedative, we're actually putting it in the same category as someone laying down with the child to help them fall asleep. So what we do see is that when sleep is pushed, right, we have this false sense of um, uh, uh, sedation, basically, we're going to need that in the middle of the night. So parents end up giving more gummies overnight, right? Because they actually, it was actually a falling asleep problem in the first place. And the melatonin- That's funny that you say that because I say the same thing to my husband, actually, because he'll be like, he'll take (laughs) melatonin gummies sometimes. And then he's like- oh my God, I fall asleep so good, but I wake up so much. I'm like, yeah, Uh because your body doesn't know how to go back to sleep without the melatonin gummy. Exactly. (laughs) Darn you. I hate it when my wife is right. I know. I'm like, look, I have a sleep expert. Said the same thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Emily. I know. 
Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, so many, so much great information. Where can people go to learn more from you? Um, they can, can you share go, your website. Yep, right to readysetsleep.com. Super easy. You can find me on Instagram at readysetsleep with a little underscore at the end. Um, I try to post stuff pretty regularly since I've been launching my my CEUs and stuff. I've, I've laxed on my Instagram game, but typically there's a lot of information there. Fun videos. Um, I try to make it fun and silly because honestly, if if, if we don't laugh about some of the sleep stuff that we're we're getting wrong you know we're just gonna end up crying and be sad about it. so, <laughs> so true. we'll be happy about it <laughs> normalize well, it it's normal people it's all normal it. it's all normal well, it happens thank you so so much emily it has been so great chatting with you thank you for the opportunity i appreciate it thanks for listening to the autism helper podcast if you liked what you heard and want to hear more hit subscribe It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.